Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. So they leave the news with Biden says goodbye to Delaware. Is Delaware leaving the union? Did I miss something, Matt? Did they secede? <laughs> Not that I'm aware. <laughs> I think he can go back if he wants any time, right? <laughs> just so you know. All right. Uh, just having a little fun. Uh, okay. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street at Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Like he's never going back? <laughs> Jeez. All right, time for our play-by-play call of the day. Baylor is one heck of a team. They showed Kansas last night. Adam Flagler into the game for Baylor as well. The transfer from Presbyterian up top. And Vital slams it home. He's off to a great start, and the Bears are dominating. Dan Schulman, one of the best in the business, with the call on ESPN last night. And let's transition to one of the best in the business as well, my old friend Sweeney Murdy from WFAN in New York. Welcome, my friend. Happy New Year. It's always wonderful when I hear you on the other end. It's uh, it's probably the only time I'll be in the same sort of sentence with Dan Schulman. I love seeing him on Sunday nights when we used to see people on Sunday nights. Uh, yeah, one of the best indeed. How are you, Steve? I am well, sir. How are you? Doing my best. It's nice to hear you. It's nice to hear you. Well, let's uh, get to the Mets story. We'll do a couple questions about this because I don't want to do an entire half hour where I feel at the end i got to shower. Yeah. But what does it say about Steve Cohen came in and he made some statements in the press conference about how he wanted to change the Mets culture. They did this quickly. Does that show that it's a sign that he is attempting to be a man of his word? Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely one part of it. I, I think it was, I don't know, I, I think it was kind of easier because he didn't have much of an attachment. He hired the guy a month ago, right? Right. Um, so there isn't, this could have been a lot trickier. Um Remember, the uh, the Mets had to go through the same thing with a different storyline around it involving Carlos Beltran a year ago right. um, because he was part of the Astros' uh, sign-stealing cheating scandal. And he was tangentially involved, and the Mets had to fire him two months after hiring him without ever managing the game. But the Mets had a relationship with Carlos Beltran. That was the previous ownership that had a relationship with Carlos Beltran. So it took a little while. It was messier. It wasn't as hot button an issue. And so maybe that was, um, you know, there are a lot of different things about it, so I'm not trying to draw a straight line. But um, the story comes out at 11 o'clock last night. Before 9 a.m., Steve Cohen sends out the word publicly. Who knows what time he told Jared Porter. Publicly, it took less than nine hours for them to send out the word that, that Porter had called. So, um I think, you know, the Mets are not known for handling things very swiftly. 
and uh, you know, with good public intention. And I think that this time they certainly managed to do it swiftly and and got ahead of things as opposed to letting the story chase them. The Mets have made Sweeney several moves in the last few weeks. Jared Porter's been on the job since December 13th. What has been his level of importance in some of the moves they actually have made? Yeah, I don't know to the specific degree between breaking down between him and Sandy Alderson, who is uh, the team president. Um, certainly, Porter has been involved uh, and has had uh, had his hand. I mean, most notably the Francisco Lindor trade. Um, it's it's one of the biggest moves of the off season. It, it might be the biggest move the Mets make this winter, um, and he certainly had a hand in it. Um, how much of one? It's hard to tell. Um, but you know, listen, Steve. It's yeah, I, I've had people wondering like, why, why didn't this come up? Well, I I don't know how private text messages are supposed to come up in a vetting process. I agree um, with you. I agree with they, you. That, that, that that's something people don't realize. That's very very tough. This was not part of a police record. It was not a part of a police complaint that somehow got overlooked in a background check. Um, it's all very disturbing behavior. You know, and I listen. I don't think uh, that my daughter one day will follow the career path that I took. But regardless of the career path she takes, if behavior like this is somewhere in the vicinity of of her, it I mean, it would kill me. And mm-hmm. I, I I would hope that other people would would react as quickly as they reacted here to make sure that you know it was rectified it's you know we we work in an industry where it's still a lot there aren't very many females that work in this industry uh, but what happened here isn't unique to sports or baseball you, know, you hear stories like this all the time and just today in the last in the last how many hours have we heard stories of people? Yep, you wouldn't believe how many times this has happened. You know, and it's it's not brought up enough for fear of belief and retribution and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, hopefully this is a lot of times, Steve, when we see things like this, it's like, okay, it's starting the discussion. Nothing is going to get fixed or solved with one move or one talk or one tweet or you know, one action, but when you start to take actions that start a discussion and start pushing you in the right direction instead of the wrong direction, I think that's all you can really hope for, at least to start with. Which brings us to the next part. Now, obviously, having Sandy Alderson there, who's a pro's pro, I mean, the Mets can obviously move forward for whatever period of time they want before they hire a GM. But Zach Scott was a guy that the last time was right there in the thick of it. Would he be a logical possibility for the Mets? If they want to make sure that there's that they don't lose any more traction in the winter or spend any more time trying to go through this, yeah, I could see that. Um, but I also think you know Zach Scott is also a guy that had the relationship with Jared Porter that led him to this position. So. I think there is a real heart-to-heart that has to happen um, with with him to make sure they know all they know about him um, before going forward here. Um, 
I, I had, I had, you know, there were not a lot of there was not a lot of diversity in the hiring process outside of Kim Ang and the Marlins this winter. Uh, there were a few other candidates, I think, that um, for other other jobs that would have added to the uh, you know to the diversity of hiring. Um, I don't know if any of them will will get more chances here as we move along this winter uh, in the Mets process, or if it has to wait till later. But that was one of the things that had crossed my mind when Porter was hired the first time a month ago, and uh, you know. Uh, I don't know if this opens the door to perhaps adding another diverse candidate uh, mm-hmm. in this in this field. Ooh, uh, George Springer is still one of the free agents out there. Now, the Mets have already been able to get McCann behind the plate. The trade of Carrasco and Lindor gets Lindor at shortstop. If you want to finish the up the middle, it's it's George Springer. It appears to be Toronto and the Mets. How do you view it? I, I think the Mets are making a really strong play. It's a matter of how far they're willing to go because I, I do believe there's an option. And the more that I start to think about this, and you know, I'd be interested to hear your take because I know you watch the Red Sox pretty closely. Jackie Bradley Jr. is a free agent as well. He's about yes. six months younger than George Springer. Doesn't profile as prolifically offensively, uh, but is a superior defender who is more of a full-time center fielder. The Mets have, the people that I've talked to, been praised for taking care of up the middle with James McCann and Francisco Lindor. If they want to finish that off, as you say, Jackie Bradley Jr. might be a better way to improve the defensive part of it. You're now getting a lot more offense from shortstop than you had imagined you were going to get because of Francisco Lindor. So can you save a few million dollars? and drop down to Jackie Bradley Jr. and perhaps use that money to what you're going to use to uh, sign Francisco Lindor long-term, perhaps sign Michael Conforto long-term next winter um, as a corner outfielder. I know it sounds funny to people who have been counting on Steve Cohen just signing his billions and billions of dollars away in checks and not caring about how much things cost, but watch how he's operated this winter. He did not sign the highest market free agent catcher in J.T. Realmuto, he signed James McCann for significantly less. Right. He did trade away capital to get Francisco Lindor. We'll see where he goes in signing him. You assume you make that move to sign him, but if that's the big signing, then do you drop down to, um, to someone else in center field and then not go the extra distance for George Springer? Um, I don't know where they land here yet, but these are just some of the discussions that I think are, are you know, kind of worthwhile around the Mets because he didn't go out there, Steve, and sign Springer and Trevor Bauer and J.T. Realmuto and D.J. LeMahieu, and he didn't make the extra year and $20 million offers to these guys that would just blow them out of the water that surely he could afford, but this isn't how he's operating. It seems he's operating a little more sensibly, even with a big checkbook. And that's why I'm kind of wondering where this goes with Springer, with Bradley, with center field, and where the big picture thing happens with Steve Cohen in the Mets. Because he can get Bradley for a fraction. Now, again, you're right. 
offensively, you'll get a sporadic performance. Defensively, you'll get a superior performance from Jackie Bradley. But offensively, it'll be sporadic. Correct. Correct. And and I don't know, listen, is Michael Conforto coming into his zone where he's really about to take off? Uh, is Lindor in his prime enough to offset a little bit of a lesser offensive player in center field? Are you really, you know, Dom Smith, Pete Alonzo, are you starting to really, you know, are, are you able to take the hit? And, and Springer is not necessarily a full-time center field option for more than a year or two. Right. Are you prepared for that? Moving, you know, and does, this isn't a conversation we had on SNY last night, does signing Springer mean you are kind of sacrificing Michael Conforto? Because he is going to cost you, uh, you know, $100 million plus to sign. Uh, most likely next winter. It's these are the discussions that I think a lot of Met fans, when they envisioned Steve Cohen's billions of dollars coming in, didn't think they'd have to make decisions like this. But as I said, the pattern he's set so far seems to tell you these are exactly the kinds of discussions that he's having. So let's get to the Yankees for a moment on the other side of town. I mean, sometimes it's the moves you make internally that end up being your best moves. They got DJ LeMahieu back in the fold. What did that do for the Yankee offseason that that finally fell into place? I had a hard time seeing any version of the Yankees without DJ LeMahieu as being better than last year's team. Um, bringing, or the last couple of years, I should say, bringing back LeMahieu keeps them intact. Um, Surely there were other options that would have possibly involved moving Glaber Torres to second base and putting someone else in shortstop. You could see the merits of that, but I simply couldn't see a version of the Yankees without LeMahieu that was better. So I think you've taken care of that. They still have pitching issues, and I'm not sure Corey Kluber solves them because he's now three years removed from a full healthy, solid season. Uh, I've seen plenty of pitchers, or players, I should say, and several of the Yankees who, you know, you sign with the hopes that they can repeat the performance of a couple of years ago, hopefully they've overcome the injuries, uh, and, and rarely does it just revert all the way back to peak form. Um, you just lose time on the calendar, and it, you know, it, it always matters to me. So, uh, while I see the upside potential and I can see him performing well, I'm not sure he's the lock-solid number two that he otherwise would have been if you had signed him, say, you know, if you had gotten him right. a year or two ago. So uh, LeMahieu and Kluber is a, is a good way to just kind of patch what the Yankees are, which is already a good team with a good nucleus, I don't know that I'm ready to push them over what they've already been, if that makes sense to you. Well, but it does go back to the point you made about Bradley and Springer. They get Kluber at, I think it's a team-friendly contract. I think it's one of those where, hey, look, if you can get 10, 12 wins out of them, I think it ends up being a bargain for them. If you get 25 starts, you know, um, and this is, again, assuming a 162-game schedule, which I don't, you know, I'm not willing to to put my mortgage on. Um, 
I think if you look at what's you know a normal fully healthy season is 32 starts. If you think you're going to get 25, let's say out of Kluber, 26 out of really you know really you know um, let's say 90 percent of what he was a couple of years ago, I think you would take that. I think you would take that as as a successful deal. Well, it's always a successful show when we have you on. Thank you so much, my friend. Appreciate the time very much in helping us navigate through uh, some some tough stuff and then some fun stuff. I always appreciate you letting me ramble on your show, Steve. It's nice to catch up with you. Same thing here, my man. Thank you so much, Sweeney. Best to your family. You have a beautiful family. Same to you, Steve. Thanks so much. Sweeney Murney joining us from WFAN in New York. Now, you notice at the end, I was able to get some Yankee stuff in there. It was all part of the agreement that I had made with management as part of your, um, just to get you back on a on a calmer realm, that 20-minute that cooling off period. And essentially what it comes down to was the radio station's version of giving you a timeout, <laughs> which little Luke is going to understand at some point what, a timeout means. Yes, that's right. We'll come back. Neil Coolong, final half hour on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Uh, Doug Birdsong, so kind to text me as always, uh, and said the suit went to Central Columbia. There we go. I, I knew. I, I knew he's a Columbia County native. But I couldn't remember which school. I called Central Columbia, you know, after Doug texted that to me. They don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so uh, it's, I, I just, you know, I, well, your own school won't claim you. I just don't. I don't know. Ouch. I mean, that's, you know, you know Kevin. They said, yeah, the suit. Yeah, no, you didn't go here. I said, but we were told you didn't know you didn't go here. <laughs> then I I pressed them a little bit more, and then they started reverting to him. We have no comment. We can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I was like, holy mackerel. <laughs> Ouch. I mean, when they can't confirm or deny, at this point, you're like, oh, my goodness. Uh, Neil Coolong in the next half hour. Uh, <laughs> do we have too much fun at the suit's expense? should ask that question to the audience. Or <laughs> is it not enough? <laughs> it's an interesting question you pose. How would you answer it? Depends on the situation. How about the ones I pick? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good? <laughs> sometimes yes, sometimes no. Oh, well, that's because you feel the heat in the building. <laughs> I'm not feeling any heat over here. I feel good. <laughs> Neil Kulong next half hour talking about the Steelers.
How would you feel about a college coach taking the Eagles job? No, no, and no. Why? I want a pro, a pro guy who's got experience, who got, who at least has experience on that level. I don't, I, I don't have me, time for a college coach me, trying to learn the pro me, level. Then let me throw this at you. All right, it's interesting how I hear that all the time. Yet one guy after another with pro experience ends up losing their job and doesn't do well in the NFL. What's the difference? I guess the Chip Kelly thing just soured me. But that's Chip. He had his own way of doing things. I'll never forget Merrill Reese. The secretaries weren't crying. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Fabulous pre-owned inventory. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. So, before we get to Neil Kulong, uh, you know, we're. I figured we'd give, you know, Southern Columbia a call to see if they claim the suit. And so I'm currently on hold. And. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I just. I, They can neither confirm nor deny nor answer the phone. (laughs) I got nothing. I wouldn't brag about it. All right, so... (laughs) With that, we bring in the doctor of football, Neil Kulak. It's great to be here as always. I've I've never been called a surgeon before, and that that actually made me laugh. I I, uh, I think my parents would have enjoyed hearing that more, but uh, it wasn't to be. I I decided to take the equally plain, painful route of becoming a sports writer. Yes, I mean, really, this is the same thing. <laughs> In the end, it just it feels the same. Yeah, that's, that's why I told them. Uh, so uh, the Steelers made moves, uh, obviously, with the coaching staff. Among them, obviously, I mean, as everyone knows, I mean, Tom Bradley and I have been friends since the, the 70s. Uh, so um, so he was one of them. Randy Feekner. I mean, they, they made moves. Your thoughts on the moves they made? Um, it, let, let's start with Bradley, because I was actually thinking about that. I, I think uh, you'd have a lot more insight into that than I would. I, I didn't expect that, I guess. Um, it could have been a situation where maybe Bradley just, you know, kind of didn't want to do it anymore. I, I didn't really hear anything about it, but I wouldn't have thought that would have been a move uh, that they wanted to make, except, and this, this segues into um, the, the situation on the offense. Now, we've seen the Steelers have the, the next coordinator or whoever in, waiting in the wings. You know, that was Keith Butler for a number of years. 
Um, when it got to a point where it, it seemed like Butler was going to legitimately have interest and he legitimately was going to walk this time, that's when they, they made the move on uh, the, the former defense coordinator, Dick LeBeau, and promoted Butler into that spot. Right. You could make the same argument. That's what they're doing on the offensive side. They haven't confirmed that they're going to hire Matt Canada yet, but all signs are pointing to that. It really kind of seems like the logical move. Um, perhaps that's the same thing that they're doing um, in their secondary with uh, Terrell Austin, who's uh, picking up interest around the league to be uh, the, the former defensive coordinator and, and a, a highly regarded secondary coach. Mm-hmm. Could very well be that Austin is the guy they wanted to keep, and they were going to keep Bradley uh, until Austin had uh, enough interest to, to be able to go somewhere else. Austin was the guy that they wanted to keep, and Bradley perhaps wasn't. So um, I, I think with that, you know, the, the coaches' moves are always kind of difficult to tell, but I, I don't think Randy Feekner was uh, one that they uh, that they covered up particularly well. Um, um, I'm not sure they had another option. Um, I say this in two ways. One, the offense completely fell apart, and to me it really didn't seem that Feekner's uh, role um, led to – adjustments to when defenses adjusted to what they were doing. Now I say that and I know that that Yinzer Nation is going to go, you know, nuts over the idea of of Fickner being the problem with everything on the team, but the reality was they're not as talented a group as fans want them to be. And this is, we've talked about the the fantasy football syndrome that people have. They have talented receivers who have made big plays. Uh, They put up points for their fantasy team. That doesn't mean that they have a great offense. It means that they have guys that could make plays and they did make plays. What they did not have were tight ends. Um, that the James Daniel retiring, I'm not sure if that was a retirement or a, you know, maybe you should think about hanging him up type of thing. They, they had the worst tight ends in the NFL. I'm, I'm fully convinced of that. And two of them aren't going to be back next year. That, that's how bad they were. They're going to have to spend more draft capital that they barely have uh, to find probably two tight ends in this draft. They don't have the money to sign anybody. That position was, was horrible all season long. Their offensive line was, was damaged from the beginning. We, we saw that right away, or we should have been able to see that right away. Uh, that position coach is gone. Uh, their running backs were not very good. Um, I, I, I would argue with anybody suggesting that they were anything uh, even mediocre uh, this season. The offense had a lot of flaws, and a lot of it was personnel. Um, with that, I'm not sure how much Fickner was going to be able to do. But I will say that he didn't do anything anyway. And the the one plan that they had at the beginning of the year might have been the best way for them to move the ball. But they didn't have a counterpunch at all. It didn't even really seem like they tried. Uh, it, it was it, it toward, you know, it, I don't even need to explain it. The last six games of the season, if not more than that, uh, it was it was a dumpster fire. They, they were a bad offensive football team. So it, putting all that together, uh, whether Fickner had the ability to change anything, which I'm not fully convinced um, there were many options available, they need to go in a different direction. I think that that's the easiest way to put it. And to me, it was a no-brainer. They, they needed to move on from that. Uh, if it was something with Matt Canada that they had kind of groomed him to, to take over that spot, they were planning on doing that, okay, whatever. They need to do something very, very differently next year. And Canada is going to be in the hot seat immediately because they don't have a whole lot coming back that's worth much. And they don't have the ability to bring in much either. So um, the, the second half of, of the 2020 season is what 2021 is going to look like. Um, in, in my mind, they, they really don't have 
enough draft capital to, to find enough difference makers to come in from day one and make an impact. They're, they're simply not going to be able to do that. So to whatever degree they can scheme their way uh, into offensive production, uh, that's on Canada. And he might have the toughest job in the NFL next season because they're, they're, they got a lot of work they need to do. I don't think anybody has any idea how many games I've done in my career where Matt Canada was on the other sideline. It's stunning. It's stunning. Wisconsin, Indiana, Maryland. I mean, I think there was a bowl game I did. He was like, every time I turned around, he's there. He's just not in the same, it's just not in the same garb. You look up his resume sometime. It, it's remarkable. He has been with a different team every year for like two decades. I mean, it. it and that, that isn't to say that he's uh, either good or bad at his job. No, no, That's no. That's kind of the college life. Right. You know, I was just having a conversation this weekend with somebody in, in Pittsburgh media about this. I'm not against Canada. I'm not for Canada. I just, I, I think it's really odd that he's a guy that's in demand the way he is every single year. And that really is the college game, isn't it? I mean, the, the personnel works a lot differently at that level than it does at the NFL. But uh, he, he must be doing something right because he, he's not, you know, he's not failing down. He's not failing up all the time either. No. But people want him to come in and, and do what he's doing. And now he's going to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem that long ago where Maryland didn't want him back after he was the interim right. head coach for a year. Right. Hey, this is this these okay, uh, Indiana. So uh, 2007 to 10, I did four Matt Canada games. Then he goes to Wisconsin in 2012. Last game was here in Beaver Stadium. Okay? Last game. Penn State won in 24-21. Okay? Then he goes to NC State. Didn't cross paths. Then he's at Penn 2016. Okay, there he is. Then after LSU, then he's at Maryland. Okay, great. Every time I turn around, it's like Matt Canada's over there. Hey, it's almost like a, a, a six degrees of Matt Canada game we could play, or six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know, if, if there was a college player who somehow or other through six people came across Matt Canada, you wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Wikipedia doesn't have enough room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was looking it up during the games on Saturday, and I, I remember actively thinking to myself, oh, it was yeah. like seven thumb scrolls to get to the bottom of it. It's oh. like, wow, he's been everywhere. Well, I mean, I, I I saw him wearing some garb, you know, like a team like a team garb, and on the side it was sponsored by U-Haul. I mean, it's just <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a little fun here. Come on, <laughs> we're having some fun. All right, so now uh, there have been coaching moves made in the NFL so far. Philadelphia is still open. Urban Meyer ends up getting the Jacksonville job. Now, here's the part that cracks me up about. It has nothing to do with Urban Meyer. But I always love when I hear, you know, college coaches, they don't really succeed when they move up and the whole thing. Guess what? A lot of NFL guys who are coordinators so far don't succeed either. <laughs> so, <laughs> Act as if success is a, is a birthright of some kind in the NFL. Like, there are six openings, which is 12% of the league every year, man, like standard. Every single year, there are a lot of guys that fail. It's not as if, you know, I, I, whatever guy. connection there is to college. Hey, I'll say this, though. As far as Jacksonville hiring Urban Meyer, which I think uh, I think there's a certain level of theatrics that comes with that, sure. certainly from the media. Agreed. But the NFL is, is such a college game. Um, and it, it, to some degree, you could argue that it always was. Um, they, they do things a little bit more skill-based in the NFL, I think, than college. Uh, the schematic uh, approach 
can be much more effective at the college level. So if you have something that works, those are the players that are going to enter the draft. And NFL teams are going to draft them. And a lot of times you, you hear, you know, guys will switch teams and you'll see that, that you know, that the second team is using him in a way that's much more in line with, with the game that, you know, we might have seen that player uh, having. But he never did in the first team because they tried to make him into something else. NFL teams now are getting smarter and just saying, look, there, there are a ton of wide receivers. And this plays into the Steelers as well. There are a ton of wide receivers who are coming in and doing some just one thing. They don't need to be a, a, a full route tree guy to be a first-round pick because they're really good at this one thing. Mm-hmm. The Steelers have shown that repeatedly over the years, probably better than any other team has. And I think this is a big part of why – uh, bringing in a, a kind of a, a college mind um, in a guy like Matt Canada, who's coached half of, of Division One football at this point, <laughs> he has that insight, and he knows that the college scheme can be very effective if you have playmakers spread on the field. That's really what the college game can be defined as now. And the Steelers have done that better than anybody else. They are finding a guy like Chase Claypool now uh, in, midway through the second round. Uh, Chase Claypool, you and I talked about this last year after the draft. I, I wasn't huge on Claypool right away because he weighed 240 pounds and didn't look like he could turn left or right very quickly at all. Same That's group. kind of a detriment to the NFL. If you only want him to, to run a fly, then sure. But, you know, the second round, you might want a guy to, to, you know, have a little bit more than that. I thought it might take him a little bit to develop. No, they cut him 20 pounds, and he went out there, and he, he's running all routes. He's right. a high-level guy. And he was, what, the ninth or tenth receiver taken? That's how many receivers are being produ- produced at the college level now, and it's because of the scheme that, they're, that many of them are, are utilizing. It's a spread offense in the sense that you've got receivers all over the formation. They're running shorter stuff. It's a one-look read for a quarterback who's got a good arm and can sit back and shotgun and deliver the ball all over the field. So it, doing that in the NFL, we're seeing it more and more. It, it is working simply because of how freakishly athletic receivers are nowadays and how strong-armed quarterbacks are. So if you're an NFL team, uh, hopefully you've thought enough to have a, a quarterback with a good arm. It isn't hard to invest in receivers in the draft and keep them cheap, which is what the Steelers have been doing, which you know, I, I don't know if you were aware of this. This stat, I think, goes, goes largely unreported. The Steelers have had two wide receivers in the last 20 years who have gotten extensions off their rookie contracts, and they are known as the receiver drafting team in the NFL. That's why. They pick up one every year who turns out to be really good. They let him go somewhere else and <laughs> keep – you know, keep one of them around. It was supposed to be Antonio Brown, probably even up through this year. Um, I, I'm not sure what they're going to do long term. It's probably Deontay Johnson would be my guess, but I wouldn't be surprised if they draft another one this year. They have three, four of them that they can count on um, and, and build them up and develop them. I think Canada is in a position to be able to leverage that mentality from an organization, which I don't think many teams have really done. Uh, and he's able to get the most out of, of players who really are, are athletes uh, who are then taught how to be receivers in Pittsburgh and end up doing very well. Right. No, exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, this this goes back to Antonio Brown, Mike Wallace. They made a decision as to which one they were going to keep and which one they were going to let go. They let Mike Wallace go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they they had options. I mean, literally, it was, it was as much as they wanted Wallace. Wallace was the guy they offered a contract to. 
uh, Wallace didn't want it because he could make more money on the open market, and he was right. The Steelers took most of that money and gave it to Antonio Brown, <laughs> you know, the, the guy that was drafted a year after him, or uh, yeah, one year after him. Right. And Brown came in with Emmanuel Sanders, who's a guy that also got an extension somewhere else and still is playing. Believe it or not, I, I was surprised when I saw him on the field this weekend. Um, he, he's still out there making plays, and Brown is as well. So these are guys. The Steelers are able to identify. Uh, pro-level prospects in the draft and bring them in, in in bulk. And, you know, they're they're not all Sammy Coates, which is a guy that didn't do all that well. Um, Marcus Wheaton probably isn't a great success story, but he was a reasonable NFL receiver. He had some injury problems. He got paid again by another team. Uh, Chicago, I think, gave him a 4 or $5 million contract. Right. Um, they're, they're, Juju Smith-Schuster is probably going to do the same thing. I don't think Pittsburgh is able to keep him. Um, he, somebody's going to pay him, though. Not probably you know high-end money, but he's going to get $12, $13 million a year. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and they'll con- the Steelers will continue to have the wide receiver position be among their strongest on the team every single year. It's, it's amazing. You have to make that's how you have to make decisions in today's NFL. You have to make because you have to make decisions with you know what keeps me under the cap, and that's one thing. Receiver is an area of abundance. I mean, they're all over the place, and the Steelers, to their credit, figured that out a while ago. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, and really, I would argue the wide receiver position is general enough that if you coach it well and you have smart players, you can get them to play multiple different versions of wide receiver, which is to say, if you have four of them, you can have all four of them on the field at the same time. There isn't another position broken down in the NFL that you can do that with. You, you need a lot of good cornerbacks to, to go deeper into packages, but you don't typically have four cornerbacks on the field at once. You know, you make the same argument with uh, whether it's a safety or a running back. It, it, it's a position that you need depth at, but depth usually for most positions in the league is in, in regard to injury. Or you know specialty packages. You might have a good third tackle that you use uh, here and there in a game. You might have a back of quarterback that you have packages to, to run with. But if the Steelers are are consistently you know stacking three good wide receivers, they're going to play seventy five plus percent of the snaps of the game. A fourth one is going to get in there pretty often as well. Yep. There are different things that they can do for all of those guys, and by and large, the Steelers don't pay those guys very much. That's right. Right now, they're not paying them anything, and they were, you know, maybe the only bright spot on the offense this year. They, they've got good ones. They're young. They're developing. They're, they're going to see better days than what they did, and the Steelers are getting a bargain right now. They're not paying for anything. Now, they, they paid for it last year when they had to, to you know, eat Antonio Brown's $20 million of dead money, but by and large, right now, none of these guys are making much. So they're able to use that as a weapon in a salary cap era. And other teams have kind of gone about it differently. But the Steelers, really, since the signing of the last CBA back in, in 2011, uh, have been using the wide receiver position as, as their primary weapon on offense. And it, it works. It makes sense. We see it all the time now. So how do you view the two games this weekend? Um, I'm assuming Patrick Mahomes is going to play. Mm-hmm. Let, let's let's preface that they're uh, they're not going to sit him for a concussion. Um, that'll bring up an, an entirely different level of conversation. Now, how how well he can play, right. uh, I think, is a different thing. I said it, it was going to be Baltimore and Kansas City, and I was predicting a, a Baltimore win just because I thought um, Baltimore defensively was going to rally 
and, and you know, kind of come back a little bit better than what we probably saw this weekend. Uh, a good defensive team, but you know, player too short. I thought they were going to end up making. Uh, Buffalo was the team that made those plays. Yeah. Now the Buffalo defense, to me, looked like the one we saw last year when they didn't have the offense they have right now. So if Mahomes is not going to be 100%, and if you've ever had a concussion before, he's not going to be 100% come Sunday. Right. Uh, I don't know. I, I really you – know, Buffalo showed me a lot in that win. And they're, they're not just purely an offensive team. They still are a very well-coached defensive uh, uh, unit of players. And they, they can go out and, and play with anybody. I have not been – a, a huge, you know, Kansas City's going to walk away with this supporter like most people have. I, I think Buffalo can give them a game, if not beat them outright. I, mm-hmm. I, it'll be a battle. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And as far as the NFC goes, I don't think it matters anybody you put up against Green Bay because none of them can handle uh, where the Packers have gone. I understand and I watch with a lot of fun. I'm not exactly a Packers fan. I, I rather enjoyed Tampa Bay, you know, beating the tar out of them back in week six or whatever <laughs> that was. But yeah. Green, Green Bay is a, a very deep, very solid team. Um, I didn't expect them to have a challenge at all uh, it, through the NFC playoffs. I, I don't think that'll be any different. I think they'll walk over them. Um, it, I don't think it's going to be 28 nothing in the second quarter, but I, I think they'll, they're going to score on, on six of eight drives. So Tampa Bay, I, I don't think they're capable of doing that. Um, they should be. You kind of thought they would be eventually, but it, you just don't see it uh, series to series. Um I don't think they're there yet. I think Bruce Arians is sitting back thinking he would have loved to have had Tom Brady a year earlier so he could have Brady as young as he could get him uh, when they're all kind of used to each other, when they've all kind of figured things out. Uh, To whatever degree Brady will be back next year, I mean, we don't know, but they'll be a better team next season. I think that next year will be a real tough Bucks team, but right now um, I I don't see it. I didn't think the Saints were going to be all that great either. So I think Green Bay is going to walk over in the NFC. Um, Green Bay-Buffalo sounds like a a pretty fun matchup. I'm going to go with that. Okay, well, that's why we refer to you as the doctor of football. <laughs> I'm loving that. Give me that sound by T. Frank. I, I need to. I need to send that to a few people, uh, especially family members <laughs> who doubted, who doubted you at some point in your life. <laughs> Still do. Everybody's against me. You're the doctor of football. I said so. Which means nothing to those people. Hey, thanks so <laughs> thanks so much, Neil. Usually appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Bill Coulon, uh, and you're the doctor of Eagles football. Why? Thank you. And right now, the patient is hemorrhaging. Back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. <laughs> When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. 
The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way. The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. 